Hi, my name is Catherine Spence. I am the head of product and co-founder of Pomelo, and you are listening to the App Guy podcast. The App Guy podcast, straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy, sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. And now, Paul, the App Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. I'm your host. It's Paul Kemp. Uh, I'm blessed with this podcast because in 252 episodes, we have had a load of interesting guests. And uh, sometimes I uh, find uh, a guest who is... uh, you know, has a huge amount of experience and uh, has been working with uh, Apple since the early days. And uh, I've found such a guest. It's going to be a terrific episode. Stay tuned. Uh, If you do want to hear anything about what we're discussing, anything we we mention or any links, go to theappguy.co and search our episode 252. So let me introduce uh, Brian Greenstone. He is our guest and he is the uh, president, CEO and founder of uh, Pangea Software. And you can actually just uh, uh, find a link on the website there. If you go to the the, the, um, to, uh, the co and I'll put links to his um, website. Brian is a developer for the Mac OS and iOS since 1987. Get that, 1987. And so uh, he's got a huge amount of experience, probably seen more booms and busts than any of us. So, uh, Brian, it's a, it's a warm welcome to you on the App Guy podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Paul. Well, uh, we have to go back to all the way back to 1987. And uh, did you start when you were only five years old? Or uh, <laughs> tell us <laughs> well, about the know, early days. It was close to that. I mean, I started in, I think it was late junior high, like, uh, oh man, what was that? Seventh grade, maybe eighth grade, um, you know, dabbling with things and, and writing little small games that never got published. Um, but Pangea Software came about in my second year of college. Uh, when, well, I had nothing else to do one day and decided to make a game. And I thought, this time I'm actually going to try to publish it. And and uh, they had to come up with the name of a company real quick to register it. And Pangea was kind of a name that popped into my mind. I went down to City Hall, and the next thing you know, I've got the company. And here we are 20, oh, I don't know, what, 26, 27 years later. Well, you you are such an inspiration to everybody listening because a lot of us uh, are starting our companies uh, from scratch or just a few years under the belt. Has it been worth it, all the the ups and downs over the 27 years? Would you recommend uh, that anyone listening should start their own company? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I've worked for other companies in addition to doing my own stuff with Pangea. And I tell you, they've all been great, but... There's nothing better than working for yourself and having you know full creative control over what you're doing. That's for sure. Yeah, that's the one thing that I try to encourage when people talk to me is that is unless you experience working for yourself and and having that uh, creative license to do whatever you basically want, then uh, it's hard to you know I guess get just get the feeling of what it's what it's like unless you actually do it so what what steps would you suggest people take if they're listening to this now and they're, they're going to a corporate job and they like the idea of starting a, a software company have you got any advice from the 26 years of you know of, of this time that you've been doing it you know i actually do get asked that a lot it's usually from the parents of kids who are fans of ours and you know they'll email me and say hey my kid wants to get into this business what do you recommend and I always give the same advice and and that's find a friend who's good at whatever part of this business that you're not good Um, because nobody's, you know, a master of all trades here. It takes 
a lot of different types of people to make a video game. You need a programmer, you need you know, an artist, and you need a sound guy. Now, a lot of times you can kind of mix and match those people. Um, like we haven't actually used a, a sound effects guy for a really long time. I usually just do the sound effects myself. But if you're doing music, you know, you need somebody who can compose original music. Um, game design, a lot of people will say, well, you know, you need to hire a game designer. And my thought on that has always been, no, you don't, because if you've got a good artist and a good programmer, if you've got a good team of people who are actually contributing the actual raw data, uh, they should be able to provide creative input as well. I, I've never used a game designer, and I always tell people, don't, don't waste your money hiring one. Uh, any, anybody who, who's good enough to be able to make the games can you know, come up with the ideas. So, so this is a, a show about apps, particularly apppreneurs, and I, I wondered if you had any guidance on uh, launching games on iOS. Uh, one of the biggest questions I'm always asked is about discovery. We've had actually guests on this show who have spent two, three years plus uh, building an awesome game, and, and only for it to uh, go <laughs> and, and get you know lost in amongst the millions of apps on the App Store. Have, have you got any tips on how to get discovered? In, in the app stores? Well, a few tips. I mean, yeah, one, you should never spend that long on an app on the app store because as everybody knows, the app store is a big giant dartboard. You know, you, you throw darts at it and eventually you'll hit a bullseye, but there's no rhyme or reason to which apps do well. I have seen some fantastic uh, games completely vanish into obscurity in a matter of a week or two. And then I've seen some games that are just horrible do really, really well. There, there's absolutely no, you can't say that, well, if I spend more money or more time on a game, it's going to do better. That used to be true in the old days of, of Mac games or PC games or console games or any, the, the whole industry was like that. The more time you spent, the more, more refined your game was, the more money you made. That does not apply at all to mobile apps. Um, so the rule I came up with back in 2008 when this whole thing launched was if you've spent more than if you've spent more than uh, four weeks and three hundred dollars making an app, that's too long and too much. <laughs> that's mean, exactly. It may be a bit of an exaggeration, but I think you know the, the concept is there, right? You really need to crank out as much stuff as you can, and and look for the one app that's going to stick and the one app that's going to make you money. Um, you know, I can use in our recent history, for example, about three years ago, actually it's been almost exactly three years, uh, we released a game called Air Wings. Air Wings was a game that we did. We didn't spend much time. We spent zero dollars on it. It didn't cost us a penny to make, and we only spent about six weeks making it. And it was a multiplayer flying battle game. Uh, we used an existing game we had uh, that was a multiplayer flying game. We stripped it out. Uh, we used art that was in other old games of ours. We didn't even make a lot of new art for it. We just kind of patched it together as this kind of a quickie project. Didn't think much of it. And to date, it has been our most popular game that we've ever done in the 27 or whatever it's been years. And money-wise, it's probably our second most profitable game ever. And so the year after Airwings came out, we said, well, we need to follow that up. Let's do a sequel. So we did Airwings Intergalactic. Airwings Intergalactic, we spent four months on. Um, we really put a lot of work into it. it. It looked great. It was actually much better than the original. But even though it was a much more refined game, better game, it completely tanked. 
and we couldn't believe it. You know, we were like, wow, here's a sequel to a hugely popular game. It's better, but it didn't matter. It, it tanked. And so that's what happens a lot. And so, you know, I tell people, don't get, a, don't get discouraged if this happens to you the first time around, because this happens to everybody. You know, even the Angry Birds people are having a hard time, you know, matching the success that they had with Angry Birds. You know, they've been laying off hundreds of people from their company uh, in, in the last year. Um, so what you got to do is you got to try to cut your, um, your overhead down, right? You know, I, a lot of companies try to be a company. They, they move into offices. They hire secretaries and, a, you know, somebody at the front door. Complete waste of money. Nobody should ever do that. The way you make money in the app business is you get all your people to work out of your bedrooms and you use Skype or iChat or iMessage or whatever to communicate and you use Dropbox to send files back and forth so that your, your cost of development is basically zero. Um, that way, if you have a tank, and it's not if you have a tank, it's when you have a tank, um, it's not going to be that big a deal. You just move on. Um, and so I think the keep it simple approach is really, really important for everybody. You know, don't, don't try to form a gigantic company that just has huge overhead. It's that, that worked in the old days, but that does not work in mobile apps. Well, that's great advice. And it's almost like I'm thinking of uh, angel investment. And, uh, you know, when you listen to a lot of the investors, they say it's, it's just a numbers game. The more uh, companies that you can uh, make an investment in, then, you know, out of 100, you may get like the five big hits. And I, I guess it's a little bit like what you're saying here, where you just uh, uh, get get used to the art of shipping, getting the, the games out. And um, then you may be taken by surprise what actually does, uh, you know, take off and and like the example of Airwings. Um, so I was wondering about reviews as well. I know that we're going to be spending a little bit of time talking about uh, Asking Point, the dashboard um, that you use uh, from our, our mutual friend, uh, Cliff. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, how important you know, is it? It must be quite heartbreaking to make a game and, and not get any reviews back or, or a lot of the reviews are negative. Have you had uh, any experience and tips on how to manage the whole process of, of getting feedback and reviews for your game? Well, um, as we all know, the reviews do seem to count in your rankings. So reviews are important. Um, obviously, not just the the the... I guess uh, what we'd want to say it, the number of stars you get, you know, for the review, but just the sheer quantity of people going to that iTunes page or that app store page and, and doing it seems to affect the ranking. Um, and, you know, we, uh, we do use asking point. They have that feature in there called a rankings booster and all rankings booster is it just, it's a thing you set up where it'll ask the user every now and then, you know, do you want to write a review or do you want to rate this app? Um, that uh, made a big difference for us. We noticed a huge jump in our rankings the day that we implemented that. Um, you know, we would get reviews on a regular basis in our games. I mean, you know, but but they were on the order of, you know, one a day. <laughs> you know, if even that, some of the, the less popular games would do less. But you know, one review a day. With Asking Point uh, during, say, Airwings, you know, uh, peak. It was probably more like 10 to 30 reviews a day. It was a really big increase in the number of reviews. And it did have an immediate effect on the rankings. Um, you know, our, you can, 
there's numerous sites out there that you can watch your real time or well, real time as in once every hour to three hours, depending on how often Apple updates the rankings. But you can watch the almost immediate you know, response to having that kind of a feature in there. Um, but the thing about rankings that's, I think, kind of an important thing to note is that your ranking actually doesn't matter for sales until you have breached the top 200. And the reason for that is that nobody can find your app while browsing the App Store unless you're in the top 200 because for some reason Apple took out the ability a long, long time ago, years ago, they took out the ability to infinitely scroll through the list, right? It used to be when the App Store first opened, you'd go to games and you'd see the giant page of icons. You could scroll that all day long until you reached the end of the world. Um, now you can only scroll down to 200. So if your app is ranked 201, it doesn't matter. You might as well be ranked, you know, 20,001 because nobody can find you by browsing anyway. Uh, they would still have to actually be searching for you. So it's important with, um, you know, review, reviews are a huge boost to the ranking, but you've really got to do other things as well um, to, to try to get your app into that top. Top 200 is just key. If your app never breaks the top 200, it's doomed to failure. That's excellent advice because I think we all get obsessed with, uh, you know, the uh, process of getting reviews. But let me, uh, I mean, I did want to spend a bit of time talking about Asking Point because uh, I, I've been using the dashboard. I've had a, a demonstration as well of behind the scenes. And uh, just for the base benefit of the audience, uh, it's a case of uh, putting some code uh, once into your app. And then uh, once you update your app, uh, you can then change the um the review widget uh, in real time and uh, also what I liked about uh, asking point is the fact that um, the you can ask you can pre-vet or pre-screen the user so you can actually ask them uh, do you like the app and they can say yes or no and if they hit no then you don't ask uh, ask them to go and leave a review because you don't want their review right and you can get to uh, get feedback um, is that in a nutshell what you've been doing with asking point uh, getting doing that's, the pre screening, yeah, that's the bulk of what we use it for. Um, before we started using Asking Point, we already had a uh, system built into all of our apps, even going as far back as the Mac uh, games, where we can remotely control various parts of the game. Uh, basically, when our apps launch, they read an XML file that's on our web page, and that XML file just has a bunch of, you know information that the app can use to turn on and off certain features if we need to remotely do anything. So we, we haven't needed to use a lot of the other features that Asking Point has because Asking Point essentially does that same kind of a thing. Um, and it's more robust than what we have, but we just haven't needed it. But, but boy, we use that uh, rankings booster feature in pretty much every single app we release. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So if you're listening to this, um, you know, fortunately, I have been uh, given a, a nice um, a discount. If you go to uh, www.askingpoint.com and, uh, and forward slash app guy, all lowercase. So remember to do that, askingpoint.com forward slash app guy. And uh, uh, you'll get um, a free basic account, I believe. And then you'll, uh, if you do need to upgrade because your app is a big hit because of the reviews, then you can uh, get a 30% discount for the, the six-month um, package there. Um, and, you well, know, there is a, one other thing that's probably worth mentioning about that versus 
you know, obviously somebody could just implement their own version of a dialogue that comes up and says, do you want to rate, uh, rate this app? Um, one of the most important things people forget about is localization. Um, the beauty of the asking point rankings booster feature is that the dialogue that appears is localized, I think, pretty much in every important language. So, you know, if, if you're just doing your own, you're going to do it in English or maybe French and German, you know, if you're lucky. Um, and that'll help, but you really need it to be localized in everything because you want worldwide um, rankings. Um, and that's the other cool thing about the uh, asking point feature. Yeah, something about 30 languages and uh, at least, uh, you know, none of us can speak 30 languages. So it's quite nice to be <laughs> able to, uh, you know, have that feature and uh, ask people in their local language, which we often forget. And uh, uh, and uh, yeah, so if anyone's interested, um, you know, from that little chat, then they should go to that link. Um, and uh, thanks, Brian. I thought I'd just mention, um, you know, given that I know you're a big user of Asking Point and they, they are sponsoring the show. So um, as for uh, the other thing we need to do before we say goodbye, uh, I do have listeners who are games developers, app developers. I wondered if you have uh, an idea for a new game uh, that you won't get time to work on and you could share with us. Uh, have you got anything um, that we could build well, we're working on something now, but uh, it's still fairly early in development. Um, I guess all I can really say about it is we're, it's another uh, sprite kit based game, another physics, uh, uh, not a physics puzzle game, but it's another physics based game that has uh, the ability to uh, let the user create their own levels and it also has a multiplayer thing. Uh, one, one other thing, I guess, you know, relating to multiplayer uh, and tying it in with um, your rankings and all that is that we found that social interaction in any game is pretty key these days for making it a hit. And one easy way to do, well, I don't know if it's an easy way, but it's a way is, is to make your game multiplayer because when you have a multiplayer game and you download it, you're going to want people to play against. And those are the kind of apps that people tell their friends about. And they say, hey, or their, even their family, you know, they just say, hey, why don't you, everybody, everybody in the family downloads and they play together. And that makes a huge, huge difference. And so we've been really focusing on trying to make sure that all of our games now have multiplayer or at least something similar to it. Because if you just release a game that just sits by itself and doesn't really interact with the rest of the world, you know, it might be a great game, um, but in, in the world we live in now, you kind of need that social interaction in order for it to become a huge hit. Yeah, have you started looking into uh, any of uh, Apple's uh, Apple Watch uh, type um, integration? Um, because uh, there is talk about unique games coming out for the Apple Watch. And uh, I just wondered if you've given any thought to that. You know, we haven't. I'm going to wait and see you know, what happens with the Apple Watch. I... Um, I don't really know if it's going to be a big enough hit to justify the gajillion people who are going to be developing games for it. Um, it's one thing when you've got hundreds of millions of iPhones and iPads to still try to compete with 250,000 other developers spitting out all these games, but the iWatch we're starting from scratch on, it's obviously not going to have the installed base of the iPhone or iPad at this point. And it'll be a fraction, probably a tiny fraction of that. And yet, everybody's going to be jumping on that bandwagon on day one. 
you know, we got lucky with the iPhone because nobody jumped on that bandwagon on day one. That SDK was released in uh, March of 2008, and there weren't a lot of people that cared. And we were one of them, uh, you know, and that's why we got invited to present our game or the original two games that we had at the uh, WWC keynote back then. Because um, there just there weren't, wasn't a whole lot else out there, but everybody learned from that mistake. Because it was like, oh my god, I missed that that huge opportunity. So everybody's going to jump on iWatch, and I have a feeling it's going to immediately flood um, that very small market. And so I think our time is better spent continuing to work on iPhone for now, and then wait and see how the uh, iWatch market develops before we dive into it. Yeah, it's hard to think what. Uh, types of games, you know, will be uh, valid for it, you know, given that I've not actually uh, worn one or even seen one other than a couple of screenshots. But I can imagine yeah. that, yeah, you could you could sort of take advantage of the fact it's on you all the time. It has um, the ability to vibrate on your wrist. And maybe there's, um, you know, some clever developers who will integrate the use of the watch and, and the phone as, as some kind of you know, joint uh, game where you're, you're, you're getting, every time you get killed, you know, you get some kind of vibration on your wrist or something. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of uh, opportunity. And so it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so the last thing we need to do, Brian, is uh, this is a show about apps and we love talking about uh, new apps that we can find and discover. I'm wondering if you could give us one or two recommendations of apps that you tend to use in your business or personal life. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I tell you, in my personal life, the app that I'm now using more than anything else is Waze. You know, the, uh, you know it's another good case of, of, of a great app that uses social integration to become a hit. You know, I guess for those who don't know, Waze is uh, yet another mapping app or another uh, driving direction kind of mapping app, but it it uses uh, the location of thousands of people in your city uh, and real-time speed and, and whatever information. So when you want to plot a route to get home from work during rush hour, it does an amazing job. And I have found shortcuts to get places here in Austin that I had no idea even existed. Um, and it also lets you warn all the other drivers where all of the speed traps are, which is fantastic. I've actually found that it works as well as my radar detector. So <laughs> I love I love Waze. Right, yeah, I'll make sure that I uh, put links to the, the, the app in um, theappguy.co, just episode 252. And what about any more? And I know Waze was mentioned maybe five or six episodes ago and wondered if you had another app on there that we could learn about. You know, I don't know. I have been so busy working on stuff lately that I, uh, it's, you know, it's weird. People will often ask me, like, what games do I play? And half the time I'll be like, you know, God, I haven't played any other game in like three months because I've been so busy working on the games we're doing here now. Um, I think I just tend to use kind of the general apps that most people use that are just kind of built in, you know, just mail and web browsing and maybe Facebook, Twitter, and a few other things like that. But, um, when I'm busy with projects, I tend to just kind of zone out of all that and, and just focus on what I'm working on. So, Brian, actually, just on that point, I know that uh, there will be people listening to this who only consume content. And what what I know is speaking to you, you know, you sound passionate and, and a creator of, uh, you know, games. And I, I wondered if it changes the way you consume if you start to create 
you know, more than you consume? Does it change the way you uh, actually consume stuff? Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. Well, you know, I used to in high school and in college, before I really got into this professionally, I would play video games on my old, God, not even Super Nintendo. I guess it was the original Nintendo back then. All the time. Matter of fact, I'd come home for Christmas break and me and my brothers would just be playing all these games and my parents would give me a hard time about spending my whole Christmas break playing games and I'd have to explain to them that, no, I really want to do this for a living one day. And then when I did start doing it professionally for a living, I realized I never wanted to play games anymore because I was working on them all day long and the last thing I wanted to do in my free time was more of it. So so I found that I went from a pretty hardcore gamer before I got into the business to not so hardcore gamer at all anymore. Yeah, I can imagine also where if you're starting to play a game, you'll be criticizing and critiquing, you know, the the movement of the character and oh, they haven't got that quite right. The music's not very good and the art and the artwork's not that good and you, you and know, it also be, takes so yeah, the, some of the magic gets lost when you know how it works. It's it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz, you know, you, you've seen the guy behind the curtain. <laughs> and, and back before I knew how all these games worked, you know, for me playing a, even an old cruddy Nintendo game, it was just magic. You never knew what the next boss was going to be. You didn't realize that there were limitations. And, and so you were always just, you had to get to the next level. But now, you know, when you know the limitations of the software and the hardware, you kind of know it puts a it puts a cap on what you're going to be able to expect it takes it takes some of that magic out of it yeah actually uh, what i'm looking forward to is uh you know the the idea of uh, artificial intelligence and games learning with you and uh, i mean have you got any predictions on the future of gaming and, and other platforms as well i know that oculus rift is getting a lot of attention uh, i love the idea of having jump scares and horror um games if you give us a, a quick, uh, you know, future prediction of, of where gaming is going. Well, I'm hoping the whole immersive thing does take off again. You know, the Oculus Rift is definitely a big step in that direction. And I'm surprised that it's done as well as it has, because, you know, before the latest, uh, I don't know, version of the whole I mean, this, you know, well, let's go back to the 1990s. It was called virtual reality back then. Right. And it tanked. Nobody. Uh, nobody wanted to wear the big headsets and the whole, the whole, you know, VR thing just kind of became a laughable thing from the nineties and now it's coming back, but the technology is a lot more improved. Um, so hopefully it'll work. I, I personally love stereographic 3d. We did a, a bunch of our Mac games, a whole bunch of, I think at least three or four of them. We put, um, anaglyph support, anaglyph are the, the red blue glasses you wear to do 3d. We put support for those in because the games were just totally awesome. We even put in support for some of the old 3D headsets um, from back in the, uh, not quite the 90s, but the early 2000s, I guess we had some of that in there. And it never took off, but but it it was cool to us. I, we just loved it. And I, I think that the stereographic 3D, especially when you've got like Oculus, where it's more than just 3D that you're seeing. I mean, it uses your head motion as an input device, essentially. Um, the whole immersive thing is very cool, and I really hope that it can take off this time. Um, but they do have to get the technology to be a little less nerdy. You know, I mean, the average person doesn't want to have to deal with a giant headset and all that. They've got to figure out a way to a way to do it a little cleaner. I think like the uh, the Game Boy 3D or whatever it was called um, was a step in that direction where they used a uh, lenticular lens to 
you know, do the, uh, well, I guess it wasn't technically Lent ticket, whatever it was, you know, that funky coding on the screen to uh, make it so you didn't have to wear anything and you still got a 3D image out of it. That, uh, that didn't work either, but at least they tried. So, so somebody eventually is going to figure that out. And then I think we'll have a whole new era of video games. Yeah, looking forward to that day. Well, Brian, it's been a really inspirational chat. I've loved talking with you. Uh, people can actually go to theappguy.co and episode 252, get all the links uh, to the things we've been talking about. How best to um, get in touch with you, Brian? What's the best way of reaching out and connecting with you? Well, the best way is actually just brian at pangeasoft.net. Um, believe it or not, I answer all my own emails and I do all our own tech support here. So I, I, I'm easy to get a hold of. Yeah, well, it's like you said earlier, you know, you don't uh, want to pay uh, for a big office and, um, and a secretary and all this, you know, the, <laughs> so um, it, it's good. Well, I recommend anyone, uh, you know, who's got uh, any follow-up questions should, should reach out to you. I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you, Brian. Real inspiration. Lo- love um, the fact that you've been doing it for so many years. And, uh, Thanks, Paul. Uh, please, um, you know, keep us informed of how it's going for the next 26 years. And that will do. Bye for now.